0: Hi, this is Ben Zorns of Eller's Emission Society. Have you ever been talking and right in the middle of your train of thought, your train of thought derails and you're left umming and awing and trying to retain some semblance of intelligence? Well, we often struggle to keep our minds focused on one thing at a time, yet Christ beckons us to constantly be meditating upon all that he is. In this message entitled, The Christian Thought Life, we will be shown how our minds ought to become chained to the perpetual consideration of Christ. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy.
1: The Christian Thought Life. There's a statement that Paul gives us, and it says, think on these things. Now most of us don't take this seriously. Because if you were to check our thought life and monitor it and somehow have a printout of it, you would realize that the list I'm about to read, which didn't come from me, it comes from Paul, is opposite what we are thinking on. So let's just look at it real quick. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. (laughs) Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen him, me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So let's look at the seven guides to good mental hygiene. Is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Does it bear a good report? Is it virtuous? And is it praiseworthy? Most of the things we think on don't fall into that list. However, you have a justification for why you still think about it. Why are you still thinking about it? It says it very clearly in Scripture what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to think on these things. What is the natural conclusion then if it doesn't fit into this list? Don't think on it. Here's my little... If not, then don't spend your time thinking about it. Well, that sounds like an oversimplification, Eric. I mean, what about all those things in life that you just have to deal with that don't fall into that list? Taxes. We're getting close to that end of the year time. You have to deal with taxes. Who likes thinking about that? That's not... Let's go to our list. True? Well, it should be. It should be accurate. Honest? Should be. Just? We're always like, it's unjust to be taxed by the IRS. Pure? Does it bear a good report? No. Is it virtuous? Of course not. Is it praiseworthy? How in the world could you ever think of it being praiseworthy? So we can't think about our taxes, therefore we don't file them. One of the key things that you'll notice... In the Christian life, is that it seems to be an oversimplification of things. For instance, Jesus will say things like, Take no thought for your life. And then all of us struggle with knowing how to respond to that. Take no thought for your life? How do you not take a thought for your life? How are you supposed to at all function? Could you imagine you take no thought for your life, so you walk out in your underwear that day? And someone's like, Excuse me, could you give me a scripture and verse for that behavior? Yeah, take no thought for your life. And you're wandering around the streets in your underwear. Guess what? In that situation, it is important to think. Yes, it's not that you don't think. It's that you take no thought for selfish endeavors, for your issues, or the kingdom of darkness's agenda. The enemy around you has an agenda for what he wants to stick into your mind. And you do not give a moment of your mind and your mental energy to those thoughts. However, you need to function. You know that you could function in every area of life and function at a very high level in every area of your life by, yes, taking thought, but not taking flesh thought, not taking dark and foreboding thoughts, not taking a fearful or anxious thought for your life. You can do it. You can fulfill that list and you can function. You can get dressed in the morning without sinning in your mind. You can do your taxes just appropriately. You can eat a meal. And you can think these thoughts correctly. You can handle your mind, and it can be governed properly. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Again, an oversimplification. Paul, a very intelligent man, the Hebrew of Hebrews, he's a Pharisee. The guy knows all about the law. He knows the entire Old Testament backwards and forwards. And then he says, when he came to the church at Corinth, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So did he literally empty his brain of everything else? No. See, we actually know what this means. It means a determination to stay focused. To say, this is what matters. Sure, you have more information in your head. But you are giving that which matters most. There is a centerpiece to life. And there is a need within every single one of us to make a determination of mind. To not think on certain things and to think about what really matters. You wanna know what really matters? Jesus Christ and Him crucifying. You could say, well, that sounds like, again, an oversimplification, Eric. If all I thought about was a historical person named Jesus Christ, like Napoleon, I'm gonna think about Napoleon. Think about Napoleon, Napoleon, uh, and his uh, war con- uh, conquests. Okay, We're... this isn't some historical data that you are trying to resurrect in your mind and meditate upon. This is an actual centerpiece, an event that has so many layers and so much girth and dimension. Jesus Christ. You start focusing on Jesus Christ, it's not like focusing on Napoleon. If you ever... We, when we, at Ellerslie, we go through the names of Christ throughout the Bible. It takes 11 minutes without any repeat. And that's just reading straight through. 11 solid minutes of just the name of Jesus throughout the Bible. It is outrageously extraordinary, beautiful. And you could be pondering the girth, the depth, the breadth of who this God is, Jesus Christ. Throughout your entire life, you keep your eyes focused on him and guess what? Everything works. You keep your eyes, you keep the mental compass of your soul focused on him. And guess what? You know which way north is. And as a result, you can tell which way west is. And as a result, you can tell which way east is and south. Why? Because you have your north. When you have your north, you are properly guided. It's when you take your compass and fix it on something else. Instead, Paul's saying, I've determined to fix my compass to north. And when I communicate with them, I must give them their north. And when they have their north, then they can navigate in every other sphere. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The great focus, message, and meditation of the believer. It is the focal point of our faith. And if we had more time, I'd go through each one of these. It's the focal point of our faith. You want to know what you believe in? You believe the word of God, right? Well, do you believe the word of God made flesh? It's Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus Christ is the enunciation of the entire Old Testament? He is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament points to him. It's a canon test. And the Messiah had to match it perfectly. And guess what? Jesus strode out into the stage of time and fulfilled it perfectly. Scripture is a map which leads us to buried treasure. And that buried treasure is Jesus Christ. But you must trust the map. If you don't trust the map, you will not find the treasure. It's the focal point of our faith. You believe the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you have no faith. The entire centerpiece of Jesus Christ and the work of the cross hinges upon you believing in the Word of God and you hinge in your trust in the Word of God is what hinges upon the issue of you trusting the Word of God made flesh it is the gospel the power of God Jesus and him crucified is the gospel everything that comes out of it flows out of that it's that work on the cross you can say what about the resurrection Without the crucifixion, the resurrection doesn't have context. What about the ascension? Without the crucifixion, the ascension has no context. What about the fact that he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's coming again for his children someday? Without the crucifixion, you have none of it. All of that was purchased. The opportunity for us to enter into Christ and for Christ to enter into us was all gained at the cross by Jesus Christ. It's the catalyst of our understanding, the wisdom of God. Jesus and him crucified is the key that you can stick into every sector of life and turn it and it unlocks the wisdom. It unlocks the understanding. You can take Jesus and, and him crucified into the entire Old Testament. You take Jesus and him crucified into Isaiah 53, turn the lock and suddenly Isaiah 53 makes sense. You take Jesus and him crucified, stick it into Psalm 22, turn the lock, and suddenly it makes sense. Take Jesus and him crucified, stick it into the Passover and the Paschal Lamb in the Old Testament. Suddenly it makes sense. You take Jesus and him crucified, stick it into the temple of God, turn it. Suddenly it makes sense. The sacrifices, the manna in the wilderness, Zerubbabel, the rebuilder of the temple, Nehemiah, the builder of the wall, all of it is interpreted in and through Jesus and him crucified. When you get the north, suddenly everything else has context. Everything else has direction. Everything else makes sense. It's the object of our love and affection. What do our worship songs focus on? Well, they should. Shouldn't be about us, by the way. Have you ever heard those worship songs that are talking about you? You know what? There's a time maybe in your prayer life when you could be talking about you and your issues and bring them before God. Worship is not the time to do that. When we're in a time of worship... We're worshiping, we're adoring, we're prostrated before the living God. And what are we remembering? We're remembering who He is, which is Jesus. That's who He is. He's the annunciation, the fullness of the deity dwelling within Him. So when He's lifted up, the Father is glorified. We focus on Jesus. We give our lives to Jesus. We praise Jesus. And the great work of the cross, the great work of the cross, it wasn't just a suffering. It was a death. And then it wasn't just a suffering and a death, it was a burial. And it wasn't just a suffering and a death and a burial, it was a resurrection. And it wasn't just a suffering and a death, a burial and a resurrection, it was an ascension. It is a place that he sits on high, seated at the right hand of the Father and all things are under his feet. Eh, You know what, we have something to sing about. This is the source of it. It is the wellspring of our joy. We are the happiest of people on planet earth. Because we are in Christ. And where is he? he's at the right hand of the father Uh uh-huh and so are we because we are in him we are seated in heavenly places what's under his feet well you said all things Uh uh-huh and you're in christ what's under your feet well all things there is nothing that can take down a christian a christian is seated is situated in the position of power I know we have no deserving right to be there. It is his work, which is why we worship, which is why we are so moved. This is the centerpiece. If you move off center and you make it some eschatological issue or some soteriological issue that's your center, you miss the point. Your uh, your north is crooked. It's the source of our peace. You want to find peace? This is where you find it. You give me one other issue, one other historic event in history that can offer you the peace that the cross offers you. This is it. It's the power of God unto salvation. Why? What's the power of God? I mean, the man is dying on a tree. How is that the power of God? See, there's things you don't see that are happening in the midst of that tree. See, Jesus, though he may look weak, he wasn't taken into the hands of sinners. He gave himself. You see, just like I was giving this illustration the other day in the book of Esther, Haman, the arch rival of the Israelites, builds a gallows, a place to hang Mordecai. And his arch enemy is Mordecai, symbol of the Jewish nation, probably a symbol of Jesus. He wants to destroy this man, so he builds a gallows. Well, Satan built a cross. And guess what? The cross was meant to destroy Mordecai. But the very cross that was meant to destroy Mordecai ended up being the death of Haman. And Haman's hung on the very gallows that he built to kill Mordecai. That's a foreshadow of the cross. Satan erects a cross, sticks Jesus on it. And guess who hung there? Guess who was destroyed? Guess who was judged? Guess who was condemned? Uh Uh-huh. The one who built the cross. That's good. You see, we have a lot of things to be thankful for. The power of God into salvation. Why? Because God has destroyed the works of the devil. He has done away with the power of sin. And therefore, he is able, through the resurrection life and the ascension, he brings us into the very courts of the Father. And the Father has the ultimate gift to give, and that is the very life of God, the Spirit of God. He says, all we must do is ask. And we are given the power of God to live out this life on earth the way we never could do in our own strength it's the root of every doctrine you know what happens is a lot of people come up with their doctrines but their doctrines without a north star and so they're nice flavorful sounding things but they don't center upon Jesus and him crucified well, what's the point of it why are we discussing it What's the good of that machinery? It's like building a little contraption off to the side when God's saying, I'm building this. I'm building the church into a mighty temple to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. You have your little side project over here. It's immolated into one big thing called the glory of Jesus Christ. Every doctrine points to Jesus and him crucified. If it's not leading you there, what in the world are you messing around with it for? It's a waste of time. Everything is about him. Everything is about Jesus and him crucified. Every message is about Jesus, exalting him, glorifying him, and increasing our faith in him. Now, just to prepare you, we're talking about a thought life here, okay? So here we are talking about basically your life, the center of your life. If we were talking about what I would be giving from the pulpit here, I know it doesn't look like a pulpit, but whatever we call this, what am I supposed to be giving? Jesus and him crucified, creatively packaged every week. You notice that? Test all my messages, look all the way back. Every single message is about Jesus and him crucified. Well, what a... The dangers of the untamed tongue? Yep. Jesus and him crucified. The Christian work ethic? Uh-huh. Everything goes back to Jesus and him crucified. If it doesn't, it's a waste of our time. It must lead us to him. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's all we're here for on earth. So if any message leaves you shortchanged of Jesus, get the message out of there. If any thought is attempting to come into your mind that would shortchange the person of Jesus Christ, take it captive. Stick it in the dungeon of your soul. Hit it in the teeth. It is not allowed entry. I know that sounds a little rude. There's a lot of nice looking thoughts out there. It's not just the ugly thoughts that you want to hit in the teeth. It's the nice old lady thoughts that come knocking on your door and say, Oh, honey. (laughs) They're coming disguised. Beware of them. Okay, because if they want to shortchange Jesus, they are not allowed in. Every message flows out of the exaltation of him, his work, and the purchase of his work. Every discussion is about Jesus or increases our faith in his work. Every doctrine stems from the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and the victory of Jesus. Every thought that is not born out of this faith focus on Jesus and his great cross work, increasing the understanding of it, the adoration of him, and the ever-increasing faith in him and his work is off-center and a distraction from the center. The muttering growl. I like this. A.K.A. meditation. The word in the Old Testament is called meditation. Remember Psalm 1? most of us, you know, if we memorize scripture, some of us got Psalm 1 when we were growing up. Let's just look at it. Oh, I don't have it yet. Here it is. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Now look at this. This is the Hebrew word for meditate. Hagah. Listen to what it means. To mutter to oneself with a low growling voice. Isn't that, isn't that true? When you meditate on something, you're just repeating it to yourself. That's the way I am. I'm always walking around in my study early in the morning. If no one's in there, I mutter. Now I don't know what I'm saying. I'm probably all right know my position in Christ and I'm not backing down. You see that? There's a little muttering growl there. Okay? Meditation. Okay? Now most of us are meditating we're not talking, but that's the concept. We're talking in our mind, in our heart, in our inner man. We are meditating upon something. We're turning it over, we're churning it within our being. What are we churning? What are we turning over? What we turn over in our inner man is extremely important. And I want you to realize, when you are a Christian, you are turning over the instruction, the truth, the realities of Jesus and him crucified and all that flows out of it. Because there's a lot that flows out of it. I don't want to make it sound like the Christian can never talk about anything outside of the name of Jesus and him crucified. So every conversation you're in, I'm like, Jesus and him crucified. And you're like, yeah, but I was wondering about the policy for you know, uh, having uh, drinks in the dorms. Jesus and him crucified. Like, well, what about the vacuum cleaner? Can I borrow it from the one room and put it back after I borrow it? Jesus and him crucified. Okay? In other words, I'm not talking about removing the application of reasonableness to stretch this to resemble Jesus and him crucified, to have an attitude, to have a decision, to approach in relationship, and even the way I speak with that person, to demonstrate Jesus and him crucified. And if someone steals my vacuum and sticks it in their room, guess what? What thoughts are going to try and come into my head? That stealer. (laughs) That crook. Uh, No, no, I do not accept that thought. Okay? In other words, there's bait for me to trip over. Something that would marginalize Jesus in my life. And so we have a grid, and that is Jesus and him crucified for every thought that enters our mind. Four sorts of armor for around the soul. This is a discussion Leslie and I were having this past week. I'm trying to articulate this. And most of the sermons I give are... It's an attempt to articulate something that God is doing inside of me. And that is, I know that I must be fixed on Jesus Christ. And I know that He is rock. And His word will not move. And my faith must not be a budgeable, movable faith. If I truly believe my God... I will not shudder, though the mountains around me crumble to the sea, though the earth and the sky peel away. I'm safe. I'm fixed on Jesus. Well, it's easier said than done. Okay, you read Psalm 46 and Psalm 112, and and David is literally making these statements that are so grand about how unmovable or immovable his soul is. And so I esteem the concept of immovability, but I find that I'm still movable in certain situations. Now, let's do an examination of Eric Lutie's life real quick. God's been building an immovability into my soul for quite a few years now. And there's certain topics that you could bring up, and I will laugh back. Totally unfazed. It doesn't move me at all. In fact, I know exactly what it is. You actually think I'm going to fall for that? No way! I'm fixed on Jesus. And there's other things that push me back a little. In other words, when I get hit by them, there's a reverberating effect through my soul. I don't know if those of you can understand what this is. But it's not that I didn't defend myself with my shield. But I tell you what, that battle axe that hit me was one heavy duty piece of armament. And I find myself staggering for a few minutes and then I'm back in the battle. It bothers me that I staggered. Okay? And I don't like the enemy when his his little funny look on his face when I did. He's like, I got you, didn't I? No. Back in the battle, aren't I? Yeah, but you staggered back. Yeah, but not next time. And then guess what? Next time, I still stagger back a little on that point. It's like there's a weak point in my life. And it's not that I don't have the shield of faith. It's that I'm vulnerable in that point. I'm extra sensitive, okay? Now, that's just Eric Ludi. I want to do an examination of how Eric Ludy used to be. Eric Lutie didn't even have a shield. And I'm talking a strong Christian man, Eric Lutie. Didn't even have a shield. I didn't even know that I was supposed to be immovable. I didn't understand how to govern my thought life. And so you can call me more of a sponge. And so the enemy comes in with his poison, his poisonous thoughts. And guess what? I just drink them in. I had no filter. And so I find myself in the self-pity moments. Self-pitying. I believe they did that. The church should be far more respectful of the ministers that are giving their life to serve travel all the way across the country, and that's the way they're going to treat me? They're going to laugh at my message? Come on, buck up, Lootie! It's a sponge. In other words, you begin to just take in the thoughts. You begin to take in offenses. Now, I had somewhat of a guard, and I knew that that was inappropriate. I knew that was inappropriate. But I tell you what, the thoughts still got in. And then I had to wade through them. It was like being in a pool, swimming pool. It's was like, oh, this doesn't belong in here. Get, you know, get that out and get this out. But it was all just cascading in not healthy. There's supposed to be a guard. And so I wanted to go through the four sorts of armor for around the soul. The cheap stuff, the sponge. Could you imagine having a sponge around your soul and that's your defense? Guess what? It doesn't work very well. And some of you are in very quick agreement on this. Anxiety comes and guess what? You just allow it in. Oh, come on in. You you always have been one of my favorite guests. Fear, trepidation, forebodings, thinking ill about the future, You know what it says in scripture about foreboding? It says the sin of witchcraft because you are foretelling your future. But what you're doing is you're foretelling it in Satan's language. Oh, I I could get deathly ill if that happened. Oh, and I could have the same thing happen to me that happened to this person. That's called an evil foreboding. When it comes knocking on your door, you don't let it in. What are you doing? What are you thinking? And you're thinking, "I, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. And That's why we have this message. In other words, the Christian thought life. We have the artillery to not just allow anything in. We can literally repel everything that doesn't belong. Doesn't that sound nice? Take advantage of it. Okay, but just like most things in the Christian world, in the Christian life, you have to mature unto this. It's like you start with a sponge and you actually grit your teeth one day and you say, this doesn't belong. You say, in the name of Jesus... I will not accept that. And you show resistance. You know what you begin to have around your... so. Oh, wait a minute. This is my definition for the cheap stuff. Okay, so I need to read it for you. Yields to everything, cannot distinguish between friend and foe, and therefore accepts poisonous thoughts without resistance and without even a growl of disapproval. Addicted to issues of self and unable to break the habit. So anything that comes catering to self, anything that comes that wants to make you self-analyze, self Uh, Seek self-pleasure. Boy, I mean, you just are a pushover for it. Everyone in the world is a sponge without Jesus. Everyone. We as Christians have better material for around our hearts. Okay? The subtle upgrade. Okay? The first time you begin to show resistance is like, you get this little upgrade in your heart. I don't know what to call it, but it's something that has a stiffness to it, but still absorbs a little. Leather was what I came up with. You know, leather to a sponge, it's it's an upgrade. You have to admit, and I would choose the leather over the sponge. However, let's read about the leather. It puts up a decent fight, but just can't handle the storms of life. Can't help but get soaked and heavy laden when the winds and the rains beat. It shows a bit of a growl, but not enough to win the day. Tough and turned outward, but still susceptible to turning inward when the right attack comes. You see, the enemy knows how to play you. And so he gets a little disgusted that you upgraded from sponge to leather. But so what does he do? He comes at you with something that can get through leather. He brings a storm into your life. And though you have a resolve in your life to only think thoughts that would glorify Jesus, suddenly that storm comes. And whether it's the fact that you have a problem in your bank account, or you have an issue in family relationships, whatever it is, you have a physical ailment in your life, And it's that one trigger point that comes through. And guess what? Your leather gets soaked. And if leather gets soaked, what starts pouring through to your heart? That which soaked it. In other words, you still have a resolve, but it's not significant enough of a defense to hold out the storms of life. And they'll push you backwards. Number three, the shield of champions. Tin. Okay, so I know it doesn't sound that impressive, but let me tell you. If you were to ask me out of these 3 out of these 4 things and I'm going to give you which one I probably would most likely articulate I have, I think I have sort of a tin shield. Now, it's not that I don't know what God is supposed to be in my life. However, this is sort of the level of maturity I've noticed around my heart, okay? In other words, it's formidable. And you try and get water through my tin shield. Guess what? It functions as a nice roof for me in the time of storm. It's great. I can go through extremely difficult things. And those that walk near me know that. I can handle a great deal of difficulty. However, when the enemy takes out his battle axe and I get knocked backwards, my tin shield gets beat up a bit. Okay, And I can still keep coming back with it, but it becomes more vulnerable. I need something stronger. And it's not that I don't understand the next one on the list. I do have it in certain elements of my life. But there's a bit of tin... In my life. In other words, I'm not soaking up the stuff that everyone else is soaking up. My thought life is very guarded. But there are certain things, those one pressure points in our lives, okay, whether it be the financial side, the health side, the relational side, we all have different things that are the trigger points for us. And the enemy knows what those are, and he will play them. And he will play you well if you don't have the right guard. Okay, this is the tin, it's built for battle. Whoever thinks of tin being built for battle. It can handle the winds and the rains like a champion, but dents rather easily to the weight of the battle axe. Random thoughts no longer hold sway, and there is a tremendous guard up against self-analysis and self-pity. But the right blow from the enemy can force this warrior to the tinsmith. Hardly a thing can bring this heart down, but the right blow can certainly throw him backwards for a while. So when I talk about those blows... And I, without going into more specifics as far as what blows could get me, I don't want to give any more advertisement to them than they already get. But those sp- specific blows that can get me and knock me back, even if it's for a few seconds. Sometimes it's a few minutes. And I rally myself and I go right back into the battle. I go, I can't believe I even turned it over in my mind. No! So, for whatever it is for you, for me, historically, it's been... Finances. But for you, you have to sort of understand how this battle works. And you may have this fourth dimension in every area of your life, but have 10 in one. And you need to allow God to build you strong in every area. The impenetrable barrier diamond. So you were accepting something like steel. Well, we got ourselves diamond, the hardest material on planet Earth, the hardest element. It can handle fire. It can handle uh, any cutting. Nothing can cut through it. Nothing can penetrate it. It's diamond. What surrounds our heart? It is literally the impenetrable shield of Jesus Christ. It's called the shield of faith. It's what cloaks our life. And if the enemy couldn't get to Jesus with it, then he can't get through Jesus to get to us. Who are you clothed in? You're clothed in Jesus Christ. Do you have the helmet on? Do you have the breastplate on? You better. You need to know your armament. And you hit back the enemy. Listen to this. The diamond shield yields to nothing. It repels the enemy's battle axe as if it were the harmless thump of a raindrop. Invulnerable to every fiery dart, keeps the mind sound always fixed, unmoved, fearless, and dauntless. I like that. This is what I esteem. And as far as I'm concerned, that's Christianity. That is Christianity. What you've been dealing with in your mind, no. Me being knocked back by the battle axe, no. That is Christianity. That's Jesus. Jesus wasn't a prey for every thought the enemy wanted to throw his way. When the enemy came to him in the wilderness and tempted him, Jesus wasn't just a sponge soaking it up. He hit back. He was impenetrable. He hit back with the word of God. What is our barrier? The word of God. The more you know the word of God, the stronger defense you have for your inner man. Because you need to realize the enemy cannot get through the word of God, also known as Jesus. The divine test for every thought. Imagine walking through this, for every thought. Imagine being so groomed in the Word of God that every thought that came knocking on your, your mind, you were able to test it. See, this is the nature of God, and He cannot violate His nature. He is always this way. Now remember, He is the one you are clothed in, and He is truth, and thus honest in all His Word, and no lie can be found in Him. Is that true of this thought that is knocking and wanting entry? Is it true? Is it honest? Is it in alignment with the Word of God? Test it. Test every thought against the Word of God. Don't allow just a stray thought in because it looks nice. It smells nice. Does it match with the Word of God? He is holy and thus other than this world. Is this thought in agreement with that? You see, there's a spirit of this world. That's what it's called in the Bible. The spirit of this world. And when it comes, if that thought is drenched in the cologne of this world, don't let it enter. It doesn't matter how spiritual sounding it appears. You see, the enemy comes as an angel of light, which means he'll come sort of in that nice looking package, a wolf in sheep's clothing. A sheep, oh, come on in. Oh, test it. Do you see the fangs? It's drooling. Sheep don't drool. At least, I don't think so. I haven't studied sheep enough to make that definitive statement. He is love, and thus his end is always the highest good of others. Is that true of this thought? Is this a thought that is going to edify others? That's going to build up others? Or is this a thought that is going to tear down the people around you? Don't let it in if it's not love. He is pure and without spot of flesh or blemish of self. Is that true of this thought? Is this about you? Will this exalt you? I mean, some of the most creative attacks of the enemy have to do with stroking you right after you did something spiritual. You just obeyed God, and the next thing you'll know, the enemy will be telling you how needed you are in this world and how wonderful of an asset you are in the kingdom. You, you know what? You're something special. Do you think so? And you let the thought in. It is a vain aggrandizing thought, and it is not pure. It is of the flesh. God is just, and thus he is exact, precise, and one of accurate scales and measurements. Is that true of this thought? Is it an accurate thought? Is it a well-balanced thought? Or is it a skewed thought? He is merciful. Is that true of this thought? He is patient. Is that true of this thought? He is a life-giver, and thus he seeks edification in all things. Is that true of this thought? He is faithful, and thus he will perform all that he promises. Is this thought in agreement? In other words, if something is going to marginalize God's ability to perform that which he promises... Don't allow it in. And I tell you what, those thoughts are all over the place. Are you sure God's going to be able to do it? I mean, are you sure you shouldn't take this into your own hands? Are you sure you shouldn't look to yourself to figure it out? Are you sure you shouldn't go to this person, to this person, to this person? I mean, this company specializes in situations like yours. He is faithful and thus he will perform all that he promises. Is this thought in agreement? If it's not, don't allow it in. He is sovereign power, and thus he is able to perform all impossibilities. Is this thought in agreement? I don't care how impossible it may look. Don't you know who your God is? Don't allow any thought in that would deride and diminish the power of Almighty God. He is God. He's able. With man it is impossible. With God, everything is possible. That's what you say back. See, that's that you know, elderly lady one that comes in and goes, but you need to know that sometimes these things don't work out. Don't let it in. I know she's sweet with her nice gray curls. Don't let her in. He is fatherly and thus he is intimately and warmly acquainted with human circumstance and deeply interested in the fostering of life and health. Is that true of this thought? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen to this final line. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought must be in obedience to Christ. Christ is the head. Everything else must fall in line. If it is unwilling to fall into alignment and serve the head, Jesus Christ, take it into captivity. Nullify it. Hit it in the teeth, stick it in the dungeon. If it will not serve the purposes of Jesus Christ, then it has no allowance in your thoughts. No allowance in your mind. I know if we were to just take a quick test in here, most of us are not doing very well in this arena. We are pushovers. We are pushovers to the enemy's agenda. You have to develop a growl in your soul. And if you don't have one, you have to ask God for one. And that is a resolution To maintain the integrity and the cleanliness of this life. You are not the enemy's plaything. You belong to Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, then take advantage of all that he has bequeathed to you in and through the cross. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And I would say this falls under the banner of life and godliness. In fact, it has to be one of the top things... That are important. It's a renewing of the mind. It is a beginning over, a starting afresh, where your mind begins to be built around that which is true instead of that which is false. Well, how's that going to happen? You have to begin to close off to things which are false and open up to things that are true. Well, how can you define between false and true? Because the uh, Christian world today says that, you know, everything's relative. I mean, this is a huge movement within Christianity, which is saying, well, everyone interprets the Bible differently. It's just just a good book written by men that God endorses. But, you know, Gandhi said a lot of great things. Buddha said a lot of good things. These are Christian leaders today. Test it against Scripture, and you'll find out what they're saying is not true. It's heresy. It's bringing in that which is profane into the temple. We do not do that. We test and measure everything against the Word of God. And if it cannot measure appropriately, we kick it out. It's called the canon test. You test everything. You know, Jesus had to fulfill the canon test. How was Jesus measured? By the canon. By the 29 books, 29, 39 books that were before him. He was measured and found perfect. And everything of Jesus must be measured to be proven true. He has nothing to be ashamed of. He, there's no lie in him. So if it's truly of Jesus, it will be measured. And it will be found faithful. It will be found true. So if it comes from God, you know that he doesn't mind you testing it? Paul himself said he esteemed the Bereans because they tested everything against the word of God. That's a noble thing to do. Even the words of Paul were tested. We test everything against the text of Scripture which is ultimately the person of Jesus Christ. It must come into obedience with him. What is a distraction? Anything that turns the eyes of the soul away from Jesus and him crucified. The spongy soul, the heart and the mind magnetically attracted to self-thought. So I'm basically going to say, many of us are struggling with a spongy soul. Okay, And as a result, we have a mind and a heart that are magnetically attracted to self-thought. Now, what kind of thoughts does Jesus promote? Christ thoughts. Heavenly thoughts. Thoughts that are true, honest, just, pure, of good report. Self is the opposite of what Jesus Christ came to accomplish. He's not promoting self. He came to remove self from its unlawful position, which is the whole concept of Sin. So he's not about to sponsor a thought in your existence that's going to pat self on the back and stick it back on the throne and say, let's build this body for a few minutes around self. Let's glorify self. Let's applaud self. Let's stroke self. Let's hug self. That's not how God works. I know the Christian world around us has told us, that, you know, that's good. And that's only normal. You have to think about you. Think about you. Spend some time on you. Test that concept against the Word of God, and you'll find it wanting. Number one, self-analysis. Is something wrong with me? Be very watchful of these things, okay? This is how the enemy works. And so if you notice any of these things as, the, as that bait for you, mark it. Know it. And recognize it and hit it in the teeth next time it comes. Is something wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me. It's called self-analysis. It takes you into your internal world instead of having you focused outward on Jesus. Is something going to be wrong with me? Well, that's a funny twist on it. Is something going to be wrong with me? You could be perfectly healthy today but have a fear of dying of some miserable disease in the future. Now, I want you to realize I don't struggle with that particular one so I'm always looking at that one going, what? How in the world could you? But I tell you what, this is a very common thing. It's the foreboding of things that aren't even real and true, as I always say. It's like me looking at that clock in the back and being afraid it's going to fly off the wall and hit me in the face. It's that ridiculous. However, to us, it sounds perfectly normal. But it is a defiance against the Word of God. We do not want to entertain any thought that would criticize and undermine and diminish the Word of God. Guess what Satan did in the garden? Did did God really say? What was he doing? He was undermining the word of God. You do not allow that thought in. Eve should say, yes, he did. Thank you. And walk away. Is this spot cancer? It doesn't have to be that exact thought, but it's that sort of thought where every spot on your body could be cancer. And what do you do? You allow the thought in. Okay? You're so deathly afraid of cancer that you allow the thought in. It's just a creative cover. Why don't you be thinking about Jesus? How many of you see a spot and say, oh, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Everything should lead you to Jesus, not to anything else. What is my body telling me? Classic, even Christians do this all the time. What is my body telling me? And then people will say, what is your body telling you? Um, How many of you are ever thinking about saying, what is the Bible telling you? Not what is your body telling you. I don't care what your body is telling you. I care what God says about your body. That's what matters. Because when you start listening to your body, instead of to God and his word, you turn inward. I know it sounds good, and some of you are thinking, what? How dare you criticize my health fetish? I'm saying your focus is not on your body. Your focus is on Jesus Christ. Just a classic trip up. Am I really saved? I don't feel saved. (laughs) Be very watchful of this. When you're in Christ, it is a fact. You are in Christ Jesus. When you take a step towards Christ, I want you to realize that is not a work of the devil, it is a work of a very real God on your behalf. So you say, Yes, and I'm moving forward right now. You do not say, I'm fine where I'm at. That's just as deadly. Oh, I'm fine, I'm saved, and I don't need to worry about that conviction that is trying to come in. Conviction's a completely different thing than these things we're talking about. It's God knocking, saying, you know what? You're in danger of something very bad happening. Could you please follow me, follow my truth? Don't rebel against it. Self-help. How can I make my life better? How can I be happier? How can I be more financially stable? How can I be healthier, stronger, and more beautiful? I know these, sound, these things have a sound or an appeal to them because you're human. But I want you to realize that each one of them can be studies of self. Your self-betterment and your self-aggrandizement. I know that this is the way we were trained as Americans, and I'm here to puncture it. By saying this isn't what we make up our life with. I want you to realize your life does become better when you listen to Jesus. When you focus on Jesus, the natural result is happiness. You know that he stabilizes your feet? That he will prosper your way? He will do it. It's not because you have focused on it and made it your great agenda. Jesus says the contrary. Take no thought for your life. He tells you, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things. That the heathen go after. I will take care of them for you. The question is, do you believe it? Because Christianity hinges on the very simple thing that you must believe the word of God. Self-absorption. What do I want today? I am more important than them. I need time for me. Uh, Who's the inventor of these thoughts? I want you to know they don't have any place in the Christian existence. None. What do I want today? That, That isn't how you wake up in the morning. Jesus, this is your body. You purchased it with your blood. My day and every hour, and it belongs to you. By the way, I smile as I say these things to God. I love my life being owned and operated by Jesus Christ. This day belongs to you. What do you want to do with it today? Do you see any difference between that and what do I want today? Hmm, strangely different. Self-pleasure. I, the I must feel good fetish. If you're not feeling good, something's wrong. And the enemy will get in on that exact point. This isn't a feeling. What is true? You might be in a prison cell because of truth. Guess what? The happiest men and women around on planet earth throughout history have suffered greatly in miserable situations. Their body didn't feel good, but guess what? They were the happiest, most joy-filled of all people. In other words, they had something. Their mind was fixed on Jesus. Was it Paul and Silas that were singing in the prison cell? How many of us are thinking of singing in the prison cell? Instead, we're like, you know what? I must feel good. I must get out of here. I must get out of this place. Why don't you rejoice where you're at right now? Why don't you start singing songs? You know what might happen? An earthquake might strike your prison cell and open it up. And as a result, you walk out in the supernatural power of Jesus Christ instead of the power of your own selfishness. Intellectual fetish. Understanding complex things. Some of us, we are dissuade and and swayed from the center because we have an informational or an intellectual fetish. We are so attracted to deep and complex matters that we take our eyes off the simplicity of Jesus and him crucified. Which, by the way, if you're interested in complexity, stay focused on Jesus and him crucified. He will satisfy every bit of that in you. However, the world around you will call you ignorant, and that's what we don't like informational fetish you constantly have to have something to chew on yours truly struggles with the informational fetish I love to get information I don't have a newspaper I don't watch television so I'd be like oh poor guy poor you no I'm the happiest of people however that doesn't mean that the enemy won't come and knock and say boy you're ignorant of what's going on today I would sort of like to know, now that you mention it. Could you come on in and share a little of what's happening today in the world? I love to know things. And so God has put a restraint on me. Where And the Ellerslie students know this. My default homepage, blueletterbible.org. It's the most boring homepage you'll ever see. It never changes. Every once in a while they put a piece of information up on it. But it has a cursor, a blinking cursor saying, what do you want to search in the Bible today? You know What? That's a far better way to enter the internet. What is a brilliant distraction? So the first thing we said was, what is a distraction? And it takes your eyes and your focus of the heart and mind off of Jesus Christ. That's a distraction. But what's a brilliant distraction? Hmm. Anything that turns the eyes of the soul away from Jesus and him crucified, the whole while convincing them that Jesus and him crucified is their entire focus. How could you do that? Wouldn't that be brilliant? Oh, it is. If the enemy could turn your eyes off of Jesus and him crucified and the whole while convince you that what you're now focused on, even though it isn't Jesus and him crucified, is Jesus and him crucified, you'd have to admit that's pretty brilliant. Rightly handling the word. Reasonable home construction. Okay, now what I have here is I just have a scripture. I, I mean, I literally randomly picked out this scripture. So if it works well for this, it's uh, to the glory of God because it has nothing to do with anything but randomly picking one. Here's our scripture. Matthew fourteen fourteen. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Okay? There's all sorts of good things in that scripture. Jesus went forth. Fascinating. He encountered a great multitude. Even more fascinating. He was moved with compassion. Ha! Huh. And he healed their sick. Okay, you're like, what in the world is this? Okay, now, I I call this rightly handling the word of God. Here's what we have a tendency to do. Remember what I said? Everything that matters focuses on Jesus and him crucified. The same with the scripture. This scripture must have context. It must have a north star. When you are navigating through scripture to properly interpret it, you must have a north star. So let's look at some of the options of how the enemy can create a brilliant distraction for us. Option number one. Now, remember, this is—I actually didn't explain it very much. This is a proper home construction. If you're going to build a home properly, what do you want to do first? You want to dig a hole and lay a foundation, right? You want something firm, rock-like to set it upon. So, imagine that someone brings you a kitchen sink and says, "Hey, I got—I got a kitchen sink. Uh, You know, we—we have a home. Yeah, this is this is a home, and we focus on the kitchen sink, and we sort of rally around the kitchen sink and." We go to bed next to the kitchen sink, and everyone's like, how's your home? I heard you built a new home over in in Erie. You're like, yeah, uh, it's great. It's a little strange when storms come, and it gets cold. You know, at this time of year, it's, it's pretty cold. But, you know, it's really nice. What does it look like? Well, it's white porcelain. A home is not a kitchen sink. A kitchen sink is only a piece of a home. Okay, I know that's pretty obvious to you, but I'm making a point. Overemphasizing the multitude. People, people, and more people. Now, and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. Look how bold it got. We're like, this is the center. And some of you are getting so excited. People, God is about people. Well, settle down there, buddy. He is, but people are not the center of the gospel. Some of you are actually shocked with what I just said. You know who the center of the gospel is? Jesus You're like, well, yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But Jesus came to help people. Jesus is the center. What? Uh Uh-huh. You see, when you're rightly handling the word of God, you don't trip over the great multitude. What you focus on is Jesus. But look what happened. Jesus got, look at the size of the font for Jesus compared to the size of a great multitude. You found a truth in scripture and you begin to enlarge it. And you say, this is the missing piece. The missing piece is Jesus and him crucified. Don't diminish Jesus in finding the missing piece. You follow me? And it was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Now, we have churches that are all about people. Okay, have you ever heard of the churches that will take uh, public opinion polls in the neighborhoods and find out what people are sick and tired of in a church and if they could make a church of their own making, their own liking, what they would do in it? What are you putting in control of the church when you do that? the opinion of people. What happens to God's opinion? Ah, well, you know, God's sort of archaic and old. Obviously, his opinion isn't working very well because no one wants to come to church anymore. No, that's because the flesh has been ruling the church, not because Jesus has been ruling the church. When Jesus rules the church, the church expands, either that or it gets crucified, one of the two. So it's not about a great multitude, Option number two, the guest room. Could you imagine you have a guest room? This is sort of a floating guest room. You need a foundation for the crazy guest room. When the winds and the rains come, you know, first of all, there's no roof over the guest room. All you have is these four walls and a nice little bed in there. It's not a house. It's a guest room. It's a wonderful attribute of a house called hospitality. I'm a big fan of it. However, hospitality, compassion, the mercy ministries must have the context of something greater. Compassion, overemphasizing the need for compassion. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Did you see it? Jesus was moved with compassion. If Jesus was moved with compassion, we ought to be moved with compassion. I agree. Settle down there, buddy. You see, that's a truth. Just like God is interested in rescuing people... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. These are truths. And yes, we are to move in compassion. But do not fall for the bait of overemphasis of anything outside of Jesus. Option number three, the chimney. What good is a chimney if you don't have a house? What's the good of healing if you don't have a house? What, what good is it? Does that mean we diminish it? Absolutely not. It's the work of Jesus. But it's a work of Jesus. Jesus is necessary for the healing. A chimney is an evidence that there's a fire within. That's what it is. If you want to give an evidence of a fire within, that's one thing. But let's make sure we have the fire within and the entire house built around the purposes of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, and then the natural outflow is something else. But there's entire bodies of Christ that are all about healing. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed. They're sick. It happened. It's true. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the healer. However, you see how he healed is bigger than Jesus? That's not right. Something's wrong here. Option number four, the surround sound 30-seat theater. Straining to find meaning, we could call this overemphasizing things that are not even correct. We do not need to have the surround sound 30 seat theater in our house. And so oftentimes we will take the Word of God and try and make it something to fit our flesh instead of fitting the glory of Jesus Christ. Straining to find meaning, this is my little illustration of that. Jesus went forth, He went forth. Not first, second, or third. Uh, fourth is spelled F-O-U-R-T-H, buddy. I know, but in the King James, I think that means fourth in number. No, it doesn't. That has nothing to do with what the scriptures even talking about. I want you to realize there are tons of people that do this. Why? I mean, there's a whole movement about how America is the new Israel because in the middle of Jerusalem it says USA. That is ridiculous. (laughs) Option number five. You know what? Let's start with the foundation. And then everything will have its context. Every other doctrine will have its place. But if you skip over the foundation, you start focusing on side doctrines. You will miss everything that Christianity is about. Jesus. Increasing Jesus and thus creating context and perspective for every other truth. Look at this sentence. And Jesus went forth. Uh, I originally had went forth as a really small font too. You can't really appreciate it, but I wanted it to be really small. So like, no, 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 don't trip over that. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. It's not bad to see the great multitude, and it's not bad to be moved with compassion, and it's not bad to heal the sick. But why? What is this about? You can't miss it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus and him crucified. If we are going to rightly handle the word of God, we make it about Jesus. We understand it to be about Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it. He's the cornerstone of everything that is true and right. Okay, so in your mind, everything that is true and right must follow the same pattern. There are going to be things that shouldn't even be allowed in, like the went forth. Just kick it out. And there's things that don't even fit in here that literally argue the integrity of what is in this line. Don't allow them in. But then there are spiritual sounding things that want to come in and put a bigger clamor and clang to their truth than actually should be there. The great sound of a multitude within your mind that is hollering the glories of Jesus Christ should be saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I know people could say that's narrow-minded, closed-minded Christianity. Call it whatever you want. It's Christianity. We are about one thing. And by the way, it's anything but closed and narrow. Our God created the heavens and the earth. And all we're saying is we agree with him. And what he says is true, we agree with. Does that sound like closed-mindedness to you? It's closed to everything the idiots in the world want to tell us. Yeah. It's narrow If you want to say it's a narrow way and few are those who find it because few are those who want to enter into the mind, the grand mind of God. But those of us that agree with God, it is not oppressive. It is freeing. And guess what? When you get into the mind of God, you realize how idiotic your little one is and how big his mind is. It's anything but small. It's anything but closed. It's an entry point into the grand thoughts of God. The Christian thought life. You ready for this? This is my great summary. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's my statement on the matter. This is what my mind is always thinking about. Yes, I deal with my taxes. Yes, I deal with my phone bill. Yes, I deal with correction and discipline issues at Ellerslie. Yes, I deal with training up my kids in math and English and science And the arts. So you could say, well, how can you stay focused on Jesus then? Because all of those things are the outflow of Jesus and him crucified. Everything I do, every conversation I enter into. If it is not going to bring me back to Jesus, then it is not something I'm interested in participating in. You could say, well, what about the people that are lost out there? Can you not have a conversation with them? Sure I can. But what am I going to evidence in my conversation I'm going to evidence the fact that I am interested in Jesus and Him crucified. That's what I have to share. That is my message. I have determined to know nothing but Jesus and Him crucified. And that is my thought life, and that is my vocal life. That is what I have to speak on this earth. And I invite you. To allow God to begin to cultivate your mind, to train your mind, to have a diamond barrier, a diamond shield of armor about it, so that you would not allow the enemy to use you as his plaything. All right? Let's pray. Father, build us according to your pattern. And may we all determine to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. May you be high and lifted up today. We love you so much. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Lutie, pastor at the church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message. But do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.